Welcome back to another episode of the Ecumen. We're here. We're going to talk about Lesson 19 from the Baltimore Catechism. So Pete and Jake here in studio talking through the latest of the lessons. So um, what we'll ask, please subscribe to the channel whenever you get a minute. Uh, make sure to follow us on SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify, if any of those uh, sound good to you. Otherwise, uh, make sure to throw comments at us. Uh, like the video if it helps. And uh, yeah, ask questions. We'll ha be happy to engage. All right. So going right into it here. Question 241. What is the fourth commandment of God? The fourth commandment of God is honor thy father and thy mother. If we look at society nowadays, which seems to be in really enamored with revolt, we'll go with that. Moms and dads don't really get their fair shake. And whether that's moms and dads, whether that's grandparents, whether that's honestly... Uh, we'll go with patriarchy in general is really almost a uh, foul word, unfortunately. And so you see that all manifest in the national world scene. Yeah. The, you know, obviously God is the father and therefore Satan wants to rebel against him. And so I think what you see nowadays is, is, is manifestation of that, of people, you know, smashed patriarchy ultimately that that goes back to to god um and i think that's also why you see in modern secular world particularly nowadays in the in the western world this desire to break up the nuclear family not only there's many reasons to that but one of them being that if you break that up obviously um if a child respects his mother and father then you know the likelihood of that family falling apart uh, goes down. Also, the likelihood of them taking outside messages and actually respecting that message as if that uh, holds any more value over and above the parents. Um, if they have parents they respect, they're going to sit there and ask mom and dad, be like, hey, does this sound okay to you? And then they'll get corrected. Otherwise, anyone can feed any line of garbage into someone's ear and they'll listen to it, which is just really weird. Yeah, because you can essentially, if you can convince people to flout the fourth commandment, honor thy mother and father, if you can convince them to do that, um, it it cuts ties with with everything, you know, you essentially become like a, a, a boat that's lost its mooring, as it were. Um, once you, this is a situation that holds us through all the different generations of our faith, our culture, you know, our family history. And if you can flout this fourth commandment, honor thy mother and father, then you're separating someone off, like you said, that they become suggestible to do any number of evils. Um, and it ultimately kind of goes back to, what is it, uh, Baphomet that has the coagula at solve or solve at coagula? Yeah, that's it. However it goes, yeah. Um, you know, which is you separate someone from their family, they trash their mom, their dad, uh, then they can just burn it down and rebuild it, as it were, in their utopian ideal image, which obviously is a lie, but a lot of it does start with um, the idea of rejecting your patrimony. Yeah, in the end, hopefully, like as you guys are all sitting to this, you're hearing how revolutionary it all sounds. And that's the whole point. That's why the rest of these uh, items here, as we go through the rest of these questions on the fourth commandment, they all point back to honoring that father and mother. Because if you can honor your father and your mother, it makes it much easier for you to honor, say, I don't know, God, the father, and then the blessed mother, and then anyone who actually has charge over you. There's a there's natural stability there, too, as far as the wisdom Um honoring your father and mother that uh, ultimately that leads up to honoring God. But everything in between that is also, you know, whether that is law enforcement, whether that is, you know, your local town official, these various things in which um, there's a predilection there. If you have that mindset that things will remain stable. So, yeah, I think it's something we don't really uh, preach a whole lot nowadays. So I'm going to I'm going to attach here uh, 242 and 243. We'll uh, read them together because we've kind of touched on them with our description or answering the question there in 241. So let's look at 242 and 243. So first, 242, what are we commanded by the fourth commandment? By the fourth commandment, we are commanded to respect and love our parents, to obey them in all that is not sinful, 
and to help them when they are in need. And then to build on that, question 243, does the fourth commandment oblige us to respect and obey others besides our parents? Yes, besides our parents, the fourth commandment obliges us to respect and obey all of our lawful superiors. These commandments that we take from our parents and other men who have authority must be in right order for us to obey them because God does not sit there and say, Hey, it's okay. They're going to give you commandments that will offend me to no end. And that's okay. You just go do whatever you want to do because I mean, that's obedient. No, he's not saying to be stupidly and sinfully obedient. God is commanding us to be virtuously obedient so that when our parents say, you need to do this for your own good, for the glory of God and for the well-being of the family, we do that. And we shouldn't really go and fire back because it's foolish. It's prideful. Uh, it's rebellious, and those things all tear apart the family. They all tear apart a town, a parish, a nation, a church, etc. And in the end, there's no room for rebellion in heaven. This is all setting up for us to be able to be in heaven forever as subservient to the Creator, subjects of our Lord, our, our King of Kings. So these all go together, and we have to watch out for the I bend no knee or I don't bend a knee to any other man or any of that what nonsense that people are out there saying. It's like the idea of uh, Protestants love to say it, no king but Jesus. Which is not Christian because God says that people will have authority, whether it's David having authority, whether it's Charlemagne having authority, whether it's, I don't know, an American president having authority, these things are still legitimate authorities while God lets them stand, which means we have an obligation to abide by lawful commandments. And piety is the virtue that we're talking about here. Patriotism, I believe, is a sub-virtue to piety. And patriotism, the root word of patriot, is potter, father. So a patriot loves his fatherland. And anyone who is not a patriot or speaks against patriotism is talking down against their fatherland which means rebellious. So uh, again, all of the work we do as fathers, as parents, and then all of the work we do as children to be obedient, these all set us up for harmonious life in society, in the church, in heaven. So we got to look at all of these issues from the standpoint of eternity and not from our own imperfect, sinful, you know, corrupted eyes. Moving into question 244, what duty have parents toward their children and superiors toward those under their care? Parents must provide for the spiritual and bodily welfare of their children. Superiors, according to their varying degrees of responsibility, must care for those entrusted to them. Now, this is interesting because I think you see it more when civil society starts to come apart. Not only do we see people at the low levels who are supposed to be obedient decide to be disobedient and rebellious we also see people at the top who don't actually want to act as responsible parents so as opposed to taking the opportunity to act like christ and be a good steward a good leader a good king a good judge um they're refusing it and they're basically shirking it saying that their own comfort and their own desires and their own preclusions and and politics can supersede their obligation to take care of those people beneath them which is really sad and this is the consideration that I know Jake and I, you've talked about it in terms of the electoral system and voting in a politician to be in charge. Well, the problem is, is when that politician gets elected, guess what? Up to half may not have voted for this guy or gal. And in the end, that guy or gal may not feel any obligation whatsoever to do anything to take care of those people who didn't vote for him or worse, will actually seek out and try to hurt them. It's really disgusting. Uh, you know, yeah, we talk about that, but... The other thing, too, that I, you know, something that, that just kind of I was thinking about as you were talking is once we've broken down the idea of respecting our our parents, right, what does that lead to when you, the rebellious, youthful person, start becoming old or age? You're probably now looking at the youth as traitorous backstabbers, <laughs> that you want nothing to do with, right? And you're going to very, very quickly, and I think we've seen it, end up in, in a abortive culture um, where you don't care for the young because when you were young, you didn't care for the old. And we have this vicious cycle in socialized medicine where, you know, oh, you've reached the age limit and 
we're going to send it to a medical board for review if you even get any treatment or service or anything like that. And um, yeah, very heartless system. But but I, I think one of the more fun things to talk about in this regard, what we were just discussing, is um, Downton Abbey. I think I've, I don't know if I've mentioned this to you or not before, but, you know, that is a very popular TV show. I absolutely love that show. It was a good one. I enjoyed um, it. And I think one of the reasons that people loved it so much is because it kind of spoke like, you know, kind of that that undercurrent of truth that maybe we hadn't fully realized or articulated, but we always kind of knew was felt right. And that is the idea of, you know, Lord Grantham being the head of, he's not just a rich man, right? He's essentially holding the estate in trust for the future generations, um, honoring the legacy of, you know, his uh, forefathers, as it were. And then you have all the servants in there that are, you know, uh, dutifully, for the most part anyways, dutifully serving that family. And it's a symbiotic relationship. Um, They owe everything to them. And, you know, the Granthams aren't just these self-serving, you know, terrible people. And that's what we hear a lot, particularly in America. Um, But I would say in the West in general is, you know, when we got into the Enlightenment, and we started um, talking about, you know, how terrible divine right of kings and, and, you know, enlightenment ideals and Adam Smith and John Locke and going into Jefferson and all this stuff. Um, what we're generally taught about monarchs is they're opulent. Um, they don't uh, care for their subjects, right? There's the lie of Marie Antoinette, let them eat cake, which she never said. But we always hear about two in particular. Two monarchs in particular that it was just too much. The people had to do something. It was Louis the Sixteenth, and it was Nicholas the Second, right? And they they were just too grand, too, and their uh, their people weren't looked after, and they were so poor, and they just had to do something. Um, when in reality, that that's very much not the case with how those. I mean, we're talking about we're talking about you know the Romanovs. That's three hundred years um, with you know the bourbons that's you know a thousand years thereabouts yeah um i mean that that stuff doesn't you know doesn't exist if the people at the very top are just these completely amoral immoral individuals that are only there to feed their their luxury luxury lifestyle at the expense of of their subjects that's certainly obviously that it couldn't have existed that long in that state and so i think honestly what you're what you see now is I think it's a projection when people nowadays talk badly about former monarchies or royal houses and, and all of the old ways and just like thinking this was so much better than that. I think it's really projection because we do have, you know, what's the term? Um, I think they call it new money where there's a lot of people who their families were never rich, right? Before they don't know, they weren't raised from the, the time they were little on how to behave properly, etiquette, decorum, whatever it is. And with this system, this economic system we have of whether it's go to school and start becoming venture capitalists and all these weird, very shady um, ways in which people are making essentially generational wealth within the, in the span of a decade or so. Um, look at the, you know, the rich kids, Instagram, look at, you know, the Dan Blazarians of the world, look at, you know, whoever it is. They're making all this money and they're living that terrible lifestyle that we heard all about how, you know, the, the wealthy and the powerful lived in centuries past and how terrible it was. And yet the ruling elites now are doing that. Right. I think it's really projection backwards. And again, that goes back into the whole idea of the people who came before us were idiots because, you know, in the in terms of the fourth commandment, people before us were idiots. Um, we know much, so much better. And yet. Here we are, we can look around everywhere we are, and people are just spending money essentially on themselves. Decadence, opulence. Decadence, opulence, all this. <laughs> and, um, and yeah, it's like Downton Abbey kind of showed, like, shed light on, like, oh, man, everything we were kind of told was a lie. Well, so, I'm, because I'm going to hit that in a second here, and I think this is what's, I'm going to bring in questions 245 and 246, and then I'm going to follow up, because Downton Abbey has another aspect that you didn't hit yet. And this kind of starts to talk about it. Um, Question 245. What are the duties of a citizen towards his country? A citizen must love his country, 
be sincerely interested in its welfare and respect and obey its lawful authority. This is patriotism again. Additionally, then, when we look at question 246, how does a citizen show a sincere interest in his country's welfare? A citizen shows his sincere interest in his country's welfare by voting honestly and without selfish motives, by paying just taxes, and by defending his country's rights when necessary. And I'm going to go and add 247 because they're all hitting on the same point here. Why must we respect and obey the lawful authority of our country? We must respect and obey the lawful authority of our country because it comes from God, the source of all authority. Now, if we go back to Downton Abbey, really good show in terms of as a drama and looking at the dynamic that is the estate. The Grantham estate doesn't just cover their house and some fields. The Grantham estate, the way that they were looking at it, and this is not just Grantham, even though that's fictional. In real life, they're basically using a fictional family to show what the lordship looked like at the right after the turn of the 20th century. At the end of the Victorian era, yeah. And it's really emulating the way that society worked because there were people who were part of the ruling class and what did they have? They had property. Well, the thing is, is a house doesn't take care of itself. These fields don't take care of themselves. Roads that are on their property don't take care of themselves. And you keep going through all the infrastructure that's now required to have all these people on this property to make sure that all of the houses and all of the outbuildings and all of the livestock are taken care of. What you end up having then is an entire family, almost an organism by nature required to sustain all of these functions on this state. And in the end, what is that Lord responsible for doing? He keeps the town going. He keeps all of these fields and all of these functions alive. So whether that is handling livestock and making sure that they're all fed, whether that is handling the uh, crops and making sure they all get in, um, there are a lot of responsibilities. He ends up playing the father for all of these townspeople who are there. Well, you know, the other thing, not not to like get sidetracked, but we're on a pretty good vein here with uh, the Catholic Review of Downton Abbey, so we'll just roll with it. But um, the other thing is you have generations of people that lived in that town, right? So his children, right, whether it's Mary or Edith or Sybil growing up or, you know, the idea that he had to pass it on to someone in the family, Matthew, you know, a distant cousin coming in, they grew up there. They understood the plights, the issues of that town, the hospital, the roads, whatever it was. They understood those issues. They cared about it. They were raised to look at their their tenant farmers and such as part of their family. Yep. as their duty They to, knew them right? all they by knew first them, name. Yep, they knew them all. They played... You know, they recreate, recreated with them as, as far as the cricket tournament every spring, things like that. It was, uh, there's always going to be strife and discord and there's always going to be, you know, some issues of, of equality that come out. That's, I mean, it's just our fallen nature. We're not going to be perfect. But in generally, they were in that episode and I think accurately portrays what you would have seen throughout Christendom for uh, centuries. They portray quite accurately the idea of the ruling elites caring because of the fact that they were on this. There's something very particular. It's very interesting um, with modern leftism and secularism, this, this overwhelming desire to move from where you are, whether that's constantly or when, when you become of age, right? Because you're never putting down roots, nothing. You're never feeling attached to something. So if you're not physically attached to the land, what's the chance of you being physically attached to, you know, your family who you're now distant from or to a set of ideals that your family may have passed on to you. And again, it's all about breaking down those bonds, whereas the Granthams cared obviously about their county. But if you had someone come in from London every four years to win an election, you know, and then moved away or, or whatever it is, or, or, you know, there's con that town's constantly having a 30% population turnover every 10 years. Um, then if you, yeah, if you constantly are in, you know, turnover, then how is anyone supposed to feel pride in their, their village, in their city, in their township, whatever it is, how are you supposed to feel pride if it's just new people coming in, winning an election for their four year tenure, 
and then it's somebody else. Yeah, there's no family in election in elected society is the problem. Family is not there because it's all contested all the time. And furthermore, I think that lifestyle that you're talking about could accurately be summarized with the notion of we could be like gods. Because you have all these people who are denying their station, where they started out. And don't get me wrong, cool, you could make a bunch of money and yeah, you can start a business. And there's many things you could do. And there's nothing wrong with being a That's productive fine. member and reaping rewards of that. So yeah. you know, we're not some weirdos. No, the thing is, is though, there should be some obligation back to the land that bore you. So if you were born in a country and grew up in it and profited from it, then the goal should be as a steward of the wealth and the interest of the individuals who are supporting all of your prosperity, you would think you would turn that back around and give it back to them. And this idea of just growing up, just getting old enough, getting enough money so you can jet set out to New York City, LA, wherever it is, you know, wherever you're from, you know, down to London, to Paris, um, to make your millions and put it all behind you. Yeah, and in the end, people who are more focused on their own personal well-being, bucking the system, and not just prospering, there's an envy there, there's a greed there and a pride that is desiring to take the people who already had money and power and actually put them down a notch. Well, it's a disordered. I think the other thing is too is, and, and you're totally right, it's not that they, it's not that they, uh, you know, not to get too much into Marxism and leftism, but it's not that they love the poor, it's that they hate the rich. But they envy the rich. And all of these things, as you continue talking them all through, this is why I brought up We Could Be Like Gods. This is absolutely Satan's line. This and is Satan dis- looking the at... The thing is, is a, it's a disordered... It's, they're disordered goals, right? So as opposed to as opposed to me, right? I want to um, have a wife, have kids, buy some land, build a house, um you know, or whatever it is and retire where I'm at and be close to my brothers, my parents, um, that there's this disordered goal for many young people today. I don't even say just young people, but, but people in general in our society, um, secular society, there's this disordered goal that they're going to move to New York city and they're going to hit it big, you know, as a comedian and get some awesome deal or you know la and become a a movie star or a singer move to nashville become a songwriter like there's this idea of blowing up overnight and just being you know flying in lear jets and never having to work for it you should if you want to be prosperous which we all should not just monetarily we want to be prosperous um and productive members but it's disordered for us to desire the outcome without the hardship to get there. But it's also disordered. The other problem here is the disorder being slothful, as the part you're talking about, and greed. Coupled with greed and envy, to talk about actually trying to upturn, like get rid of all the people who currently have wealth and knock them down a notch. And actually have something, look at them as if they're evil. The, the whole thing is disordered because it's denying reality with the, an intent to actually shift all of the responsibilities. In the end, what you're looking at is going, look, if there are wealthy people out there right now, wealthy people by nature are not evil, okay? People can be evil whether you have money or not. That's not an indicator of whether or not someone actually is exhibiting evil tendencies. Welfare of our fellow countrymen should include everyone. So this means whether or not this person is rich or poor, no matter where they were born, no matter what they do for a living, whatever, all these things here, assuming we're talking within legal confines, we're talking in religious confines, these people are thinking about the glory of God, it doesn't matter where they came from. We have to be looking at the welfare of all because this is supposed to be a family. That's the whole point of a commonwealth and what we're looking at. So that means if there are laws, the laws are there to benefit all of us, not just some of us. And when we start turning this into this weird democratic mess and us versus them, it's now contested and no longer are we caring about the welfare of all, we just care about the welfare of my group. And no longer am I caring about the laws of all, I care about the laws that benefit my group. In the end then, it doesn't have that selflessness anymore, that family nature. Like the whole point about a family and your brothers and your sisters and your parents and your grandparents and your aunts and uncles, we're not trying to devise a system to take my grandparents down a notch so they'll never be grandparents again. Like we're not trying to go and figure out a way so that mom and dad can't be in charge. Ideally, there should be there's 
natural progression of things as the children age and they take on additional responsibilities and mom and dad or grandma and grandpa can't do certain things anymore. So this it transitions. But that's a natural transition and an acceptance of additional responsibility and a growth versus finding a way to just buck the entire system and destroy it. And one of them is a natural growth and it totally emulates the growth we're supposed to have with grace, with God, Mm -hmm. to be good citizens. And the other one is completely revolutionary and satanic as it's sitting there and saying, no, it's all about fighting everybody. It's all about taking down everyone who disagrees with me. So there's no way you can abide by the fourth commandment if you decide your family needs to basically be dealt with and you need to take them all down a notch and you need to destroy them. (laughs) In the same vein, when you no longer see your city, your town, uh, your state, your country, um, you no longer see them as people that you need to take care of with the laws and with your, your behavior, well, then in the end, you're disordered. Now everything starts to fall apart. You're no longer in agreement with the fourth commandment. And this right here is the essence, by the way, of what Leo the 13th and others were talking about when they actually were crapping all over socialism. Socialism is so envy here's the and other thing pride too. and greed. And um, here's the other thing, too. Actually, speaking of uh, owing no allegiance, libertarians. <laughs> I know we've been busting, busting chops on socialists a lot, but uh, let's go ahead and put this one to bed, too. Um, yeah, I had a, a Catholic recently tell me that the libertarian platform not only was compatible but endorsed by the church. And when I disagreed, he said, uh, oh, you can disagree, but go and do your research. And everyone I've ever talked to, they've come back and they've seen it my way. Eh. Uh, yeah. Wrong. <laughs> it's impressive. Everything you just said was wrong. <laughs> no, so the whole problem, it just for... Uh, Everyone out there who's listening to wonder why we would say libertarianism is wrong. Uh, one, in terms of their stance on drug use and everything else, the stance on in terms of uh, free love, we'll just go with that. In terms of the way they actually interact with people, uh, divorce is totally okay. It basically ends up being, unfortunately, a rather hedonist and can be slothful. They presume everyone they, completely free for all. Like they they refuse it's anarchy. They refuse to uh, in any way denounce any action. Of anybody, which means you can do whatever you want, no matter how offensive and it is to God. Say, they will say, well, we're not judging it as, as morally good. We're just saying it's the, the church. It's separate because the church deals in morality and we deal in legality. It's the ultimate absolution of morality, unfortunately, which means yeah. therefore anything goes. So it, it ends up being really gross. and There's no way to actually abide by Christ's commandments. And it generally with puts philosophy. with limited government. Um, you know, and it, there's a huge, there's a whole bunch of people in the, under that umbrella, that camp of libertarians. But um, generally speaking, they're all the way on one end, no government, uh, you know, anarcho-capitalist types. Um, and then on, you know, the other end, at least it's a limited government with the center of the, of the individual being the, you know, the prime focus. And again, when it's a, it's, that's a disordered, that's disordered when the individual is, um, the preeminent, uh, concern your individual, then you're very less likely to give the appropriate dues to your parents, ultimately to your nation. And I think this is why it makes sense. We'll finish out here with the fourth commandment and then uh, finish up the talk on government. Um, why are we obliged? This is 248, by the way. So question 248. Why are we obliged to take an active part in works of good citizenship? We are obliged to take an active part in works of good citizenship because right reason requires citizens to work together for the public welfare of the country. 249. What are the chief duties of those who hold public office? The chief duties of those who hold public office are to be just in all, excuse me, just to all in exercising their authority and to promote the general welfare. And lastly, question 250, what does the fourth commandment forbid? The fourth commandment forbids disrespect, unkindness, and disobedience to our parents and lawful superiors. Now, all of the discussions we're having is the fact that rebels don't abide by any of these, no matter what their justification is going on here, especially um, when they are working against not only rightful authority, but authority which promotes Catholic virtue and Catholic worship. In the end, there's everything evil about it, regardless of what party we're talking about, especially in the United States, and it's similar overseas. um, There aren't 
any parties who could sit there and claim a moral superiority, in all seriousness, not objectively anyways, according to God's commitments. So therefore... Because there are no parties in, in what God would uh, deem a good political system. <laughs> that is correct, because God's political system, he's not president of presidents, he's not senator of senators, prime minister of prime ministers, none of that. He's king of kings and lord of lords. The duke of dukes. <laughs> <laughs> well, the thing is, at least he appoints dukes, though. He has people who are appointed to many different roles. The saints have been elevated and appointed. Hey, to you don't have to convince roles. me. I would love to be a duke. I would love to work for a baron. You know, um, I don't know if a duke's higher. I think duke's higher than baron. I believe maybe so. an earl. Being an earldom. There you go. I think those are lower. I think they. Are. I think dukes are honestly. I think that they're they, dukes are pretty high. They're only su- they're only below princes. I think and princesses. Yeah. I do believe earls are low though. Yeah, in terms of the lordly status. But the whole the whole point what we're getting at here just to wrap up the fourth. Yeah, commandment, not to sidetrack that, but again, <laughs> it's okay. The point here is that there are rightful bastions of authority that God has allowed to stand and we must ultimately respect them, abide by them and do what needs to be done so that we can learn what it is to be obedient. We have to be submissive in many instances. It is not about us being in charge. If you want to be in charge and your whole goal is to be in charge and you have no problem throwing everybody aside just to get more money or just to get more governmental power, um, you're not going to like heaven at all. <laughs> so well, you're probably not going to be there, but <laughs> details so the idea here is that even a king in a catholic society has obligations as we have just said to take care of his people and every single one of them to try to get them not only for their physical and temporal welfare but for their spiritual welfare to make sure that they have a chance to get to heaven that's his job as a king a queen the whole thing and vice versa then us as citizens should actually be there praying for our leaders all the time helping them do what they can to get to heaven while we're working on our families and our towns and everything else like this is a symbiotic relationship and mutual now although everyone would love to be rich and in charge not all of us can be the head and by the same token not all of us can be the hand or the foot or the leg or whatever everyone has a unique role and they're all complementary and this life would be completely boring if there were no hierarchies and there were no complementary natures or and responsibilities. If we accept this, that there are differences among people, that, I don't know, maybe men and women are different, that maybe there are different levels of authority and different jobs, it's way easier to be happy about the lot we've been given and the places that we can go and where we can make a difference. And then if we can make money, great, you can make some money there. Cool. But then take your skills that God gave you that are supposed to complement others and use all of that talent that God has given you and any of the resources and other blessings he's given you, you have to give them back. Okay. So this whole dynamic is all about mutual dependency and this goes into one of the points I've only realized maybe in the past, we'll go with four years, but independence is a myth. We are not independent. I have things that were made by others that I'm wearing. I have food that was prepared by others that I eat made from animals that were raised by, I had no capacity. So raised by other people, other farmers that were out there. And again, like I didn't build my house by by hand. Other people had to build it, and so well, on. I think so even forth. even if you're looking at like a mountain man somewhere up in Alaska or or wherever, um, even that person truly is not independent. And may, it may sound like a kind of a cerebral distinction we're making here, but but that individual is dependent on nature and game around him to provide shelter and warmth and food and sustenance. And ultimately, where does that come from? God. God. So, you know, nobody is independent, no matter, and I think, and, you know, that's what people really get angry about, you know, when you, when you say that to them. Um, because if they acknowledge that they're dependent on God, it means all of a sudden God's commandments are legitimate. God's authority and power is legitimate. It means the punishments and the justice that come with disobedience are legitimate now, and that is concerning for anyone who is actively working against God. Our goal, let's not actively work against God and therefore... Yeah, it's this idea of like, if I don't, if I just don't play the game one way or the other, I can just have that neutral buoyancy and it's that no effect. And it's like, no, it's, it's, you know, it's either a positive or a minus. You're either working towards heaven or the other place. Um, and that it's just the way it is. Yeah. It's just the way it is. Like, you know, you know, you, 
somebody can sit here. I'm certainly not going to sit here, but somebody can sit here and lament all they want. Like, well, I wish it was, uh, you know, it, I just only had to worry about 70 years and then nothingness afterwards. And it's like, well, that's a pointless thought experiment because that's not true. Moving on, after we've now covered all the fourth commandment and what it means to be obedient, not only to our parents, but to our governments, ultimately because God gave them their place and we're supposed to be obedient to them. Well, what happens whenever people start to, I don't know, not like the fact that they were put in a position that God made for them? Well, then they start to get angry and then they end up violating the fifth commandment. What is that fifth commandment? Question 251. What is the fifth commandment of God? The fifth commandment of God is thou shalt not murder. Now, I know when you look at a bunch of different translations here, they will have that written as kill. The issue is that's not true. If we say kill, then what did... Then the vegans are right. (laughs) That's it. Or maybe when we look at what God commanded Moses to do with the Levites, I believe they were literally ordered to kill the heads of the families that had done the golden calf and all the other weirdness. And then it's like literally two months after this commandment came down. Yeah. I'm pretty sure it's murder, not kill. And then we're going to sit there and look at when they get to the promised land, kill every man, woman, child and livestock because they were all a bunch of demon worshipers. That's what was going on in Canaan. There were multiple times when killing was ordered. And when you go look at what not only ordered, but like, um, what, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, like, like Expected, called for obligated. Like, yeah. Obligated. Like, I mean, it, it had to happen. Yes. And when you look at then what Paul talks about in Romans with having the leader and the sword, basically the uh, power over life and death. That's what a leader gets. Because if you look at God, what does God have the power of life and death? And what does a king or, or a leader of a nation have? Power over life and death. That's why they actually command militaries. Like, that's the end result. They kill people and they break things with militaries. Well, there is life and death. So this is not about killing. There are times when killing is a legal thing to do. Like, if you're defending yourself from a someone who's trying to harm your family and it just so happens a guy gets killed as you're stopping him so that he's no longer a threat to you, that is not breaking a commandment of God to actually neutralize that threat to your family if he dies. Now, however, if you're sitting there and you're planning out how you're going to take out this guy who you're really jealous of and you just don't like the way, you know, his face (laughs) looks, that's murder. That's in cold blood. That is with malice and that is with pride where you sit there and say that I have the right to take someone's life even though no law in your country gives you that authority. No one requested it in a lawful way from the standpoint of you're not carrying a gun in a battle fighting for your country and you were not commanded by God in any way, shape or form to do that because we have none of that sitting there on us at this moment. So all of those things, there is a difference between killing and murder. And that's, we want to make sure that we're clear on here. So it's thou shalt not murder. Now, what goes along with that question? 252. What are we commanded by the fifth commandment? By the fifth commandment, we are commanded to take proper care of our own spiritual and bodily well-being and that of our neighbor. And I think we're going to go through here. Let's just read the other, uh, It's the last one. So we'll read the last one. Question 253. What does the fifth commandment forbid? The fifth commandment forbids murder, suicide, and also fighting, anger, hatred, revenge, drunkenness, reckless driving, and bad example. Now, what's the point of all of these things that we're talking about here? Everything that leads to us losing our control and out of anger or rage acting in any way that contradicts with the virtues that we have been commanded to observe, to emulate, um, and to feel with grace. All of these things we're supposed to do just as Christians to act like Christ. Christ never lost his temper and then threw a temper tantrum. And even when someone may say, well, Christ got angry. Yeah, but there's a difference between just anger where you're sitting there saying this person is offending God, doing things that are evil to others because they're actually violating the fifth commandment. Therefore, justice dictates that someone neutralizes this threat to God's glory, to God himself in terms of his commandments and therefore his people, his church. Um, Yeah, there are just times when that needs to be stopped and ultimately force is a component there. But me arguing with my wife does not fall into that 
realm of something that actually makes sense unless she's doing something that is absolutely contrary to the laws of God and she is causing a problem. Only then am I justified to act out. And even then I can't go and flip like crazy and lose my cool and lose my temper and have no control. Everything has to be measured. My kids will anger me when they go and make mistakes, but I can't go and lose my cool and then do things that hurt them irreparably in a way that doesn't have any sort of teaching effect or whatever, because in the end now I'm just showing a lack of virtue. I have no control over myself. And in the end, that is sloth. There's a laziness component there. Obviously anger, because in the end, it's not about God's glory. It's about my, my making things, everything balanced for me. And it, again, going back to me, 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 well, pride, only pride could sit there and say, well, that person should have done this for me. And then I decide that I can go and do something irrational and painful to them all because I thought I deserved more. Who am I to tell them what I deserve? That God has set all of the laws and we need to abide by them. I don't know what you have to add there, but it's fifth commandments, an interesting one, but people just don't focus on the anger aspect. They focus a lot more on just the murder and they leave it. So, no, it's very good. I mean, it's it's important the idea of anger or, or you know you know what else was read in there reckless driving or drunkenness. So you know it's very those are often overlooked facets of it. And um, but going back to the whole murder thing, I had conversation very recently with someone in my family. Uh, the idea of uh, <clears throat> how can how can Catholics claim abortion? is murder and support the death penalty. And again, you know, you already touched on it with the idea of the state um, existing under, you know, essentially God's God allowing the state to have the authority it has, uh, people breaking laws, having, and I don't mean this necessarily, and I do not mean this in the American Americanist sense of the term, but due process, right? So actual justice, as opposed to vengeance, um, things like that. Uh, there's a difference between holding someone accountable, uh, and the, you know, as with the death penalty for what they're, what they've done, uh, having them repay their debts. And again, abortion is murder. And I know a lot of people listening to this already believe that maybe there's some people who don't, but you know, it's, it's killing an innocent defenseless person um namely out of convenience um the problem is that individual the baby in the womb is still alive and by any definition from a scientific standpoint with multiple organs and cells that are replicating and consuming energy and its own unique dna yeah all of that says it's alive the thing is though it's not ever it's not done anything wrong so that baby is sitting in there and has not even come out into the world to see anything to feel anything and to be able to even react to anything in any way that could be considered sinful so in the end they're completely innocent in terms of god's laws at that point in time with the exception of the exception of original sin and the fact they haven't been baptized yet Um, But outside of that, outside of original sin that was passed to them by Adam, they have not committed actual sin on their own. Now, by contrast, a murderer has actually violated someone else's rights. He made his choice. It is what it is. Um, I think, again, I think it goes back to this whole idea, though, not to circle back to honor that mother and father, but once you start breaking that down, that bond between a child and their parents, when that child grows up, that child has does not understand the right order of things or that now adult doesn't understand the right order of things and therefore it's a generationally successively it's getting worse and worse the not only children obeying their parents but parents actually doing right by their children as we talked about in the fourth commandment you know as far as what they owe their children those that that two-way streets broken down and ultimately it becomes very easy to justify murdering your own children for your own convenience because you know if you've done that if you cast your parents aside then everything about you or everything in your uh, gut instinct would tell you that when you're old or whatever it is your child will do the same to you and cast you aside so I'd rather just keep living for me and therefore my child is expendable Um, and they all feed into each other and it's successively over generations, and particularly now, what are we, two, 
come upon three generations now since, yeah, it's really it, since sad. abortion has been legalized. 55 to 60 million, somewhere in what there. What are the, what's this, I mean, think about the long-term spiritual and psychological impacts on communities that have been particularly poor communities in urban areas that have been preyed upon by this industry. It's pretty plain to see, I guess you'd say, if you look around, that uh, a culture that has done that to themselves, um, that there are some serious spiritual and psychological wounds that develop from that that people don't even realize, but it all stems back from this idea of breaking up the family. Then, you know, your own flesh and blood that needs you to live is somehow, somehow you can actually say with a straight face that it's just a clump of cells. It's a warp. And I think if we look at this problem from the standpoint of the family again. So going back to the fourth commandment, which I think is a good observation, um, as well as um, from God's perspective, we're supposed to be seeing all of each other as a family. And the issue I have going back to looking at representative governments and not understanding the fourth commandment's relationship to obedience and piety, um, basically to following laws. Well, the problem is, is if we end up in a system that tells us we're all divided up against each other and there's no way to actually talk to one another, then we can't ever see each other truly as brothers and sisters in any capacity. Therefore, there is no shared suffering or shared empathy that we can possibly give to anyone. I can't I can't express or share or sympathy maybe for those things I haven't actually experienced, but there's no way we can give to them anything that relates to that charity that needs to be there that we would do as brothers as as family and without a family and sitting there more and more alone, well then all of these sins start to open up because you can objectify anyone. And after you objectify a person, so they're no longer a human, they're no longer, they don't have their feelings. You're not mean, concerned about their soul. And it their is salvation. a means to the end as opposed to the end itself. Yeah. In the end, you can now murder them. You can do all sorts of terrible things to them because they're not really human. I mean, they don't really feel it and I don't really like them anyways. They don't care about me. Um, they're just a, an elitist. They're just a, uh, you know, name any label you could possibly come up with that we have heard in the modern political discourse. All of that stuff in and of itself is dehumanizing. That's the point of name calling. It removes the humanity from a person and it's divisive. And in the end, it actually encourages all of us to start acting like animals as we label everybody and start to justify why we do not need to love them and why we do not need to give charity. That's the whole problem with the fifth commandment is in the end, it's actually absolving us of any obligation to charity um, that we have for all of our fellow man. Now, what's really interesting here is the correlation it has with the Sixth Commandment mm. in that just like Jake was bringing up with abortion and going, uh, what's the cause of abortion? Well, when you have everyone break down and no longer do they feel like they're obligated to do anything for anyone, well, then the result of intercourse between men and women is child. And if they actually see no one as having any value, including their partner, well, then why would they see the new life as having value either? Mm. And in the end, those people also have no way to value God whatsoever mm -hmm. they're absolutely adversaries of god so i think this opens up we'll go in and we'll read all the questions and answers then for the sixth commandment and then finish out this episode so starting then question 254 what is the sixth commandment of god the sixth commandment of god is thou shall not commit adultery 255 what are we commanded by the sixth commandment by the sixth commandment we are commanded to be pure and modest in our behavior 256 what does the sixth commandment forbid the sixth commandment forbids all impurity and immodesty in words looks and actions whether alone or with others 257 what are the chief dangers to the virtue of chastity the chief dangers to the virtue of chastity are idleness sinful curiosity bad companions drinking immodest dress and indecent books plays and motion pictures and 258 what are the chief means of preserving the virtue of chastity the chief means of preserving the virtue of chastity are to avoid carefully all unnecessary dangers, to seek God's help through prayer, frequent confession, holy communion, and assistance at holy mass, and to have special devotion to the Blessed Virgin. Now, all of these rolled up look at the problem that is sexuality of humanity being abused when we don't really care about its purpose, which its purpose is to make new souls to go to heaven because God cares about souls and he wants more of us because he loves all of us and wants to see as many of us as possible in heaven. That was the reason for Christ's sacrifice on the cross, the redemption of all mankind, the opening of the gates, 
so that all of us could go to heaven. The problem is, though, is when we start to turn away from God, we don't understand the family nature of this whole thing and what we owe. We don't understand the violence and what that can do. And we don't understand how the Sixth Commandment can be abused. In the end, well, now we're acting like a bunch of animals. Mm -hmm. And it's not helpful. What I mean here is that purity and modesty are absolutely essential if we want to see all of our fellow mankind go to heaven. And that means we shouldn't be encouraging people to make garbage pornographic material by consuming it that's bad in the end it just makes people want to do more sin this is the reason why immodest dress and ultimately immodest discussions and dealing with people who don't care about god who are going to be immodest and disgusting um they don't care about god nor do they care about the functions of the human body and how a married couple has an obligation to go forth and multiply well in the end they're taking this whole thing and turning it into i just want to feel good which it's all about do what thou wilt. It's all about we could be like gods and it's all twisting everything up on itself completely selfishly, completely di with full disregard to the virtues that are there. You, like you can't be humble and then objectify someone with pornography and look at an image or that and then start to sit there and focus on what you want to see and your own personal pleasure, regardless of whether or not that person has been put in a situation that is compromising, that is offensive to God. Like the instant we can disregard that person's soul, anything's possible. Like I said, murder, any sort of abuse you can possibly imagine. It's terrible. And this is what society is filled with right now. If you look everywhere. Mm -hmm. The one of the other things too, about uh, <clears throat> the contraceptive free sex cultures, you know, as Catholics, uh, not only do we believe, but it is objectively true. We were made in God's image. And in that image, God is the creator, and therefore we reflect back on him in a right-ordered way. We create. Um, and when you use contraceptives, um, we you're, destroy. you're destroying. Uh, because, again, if I view... Um, if I'm looking at another person as a means to an end, to some sort of carnal gratification, um, ultimately uh, what you're doing, feeding your base pleasures there, uh, <clears throat> and disregarding the fact that it is a two-way street in that regard, you're... People may not want to admit this, and people may get very outraged and faux outraged, and maybe they'll be willfully ignorant or um, willfully misinterpret what I'm about to say, but you are well down the track at that point of if you accept that, if you say that sex is just a natural bodily function and um, and you're okay with essentially... Uh, objectifying stuff uh, other people you're pretty well down the path of creating uh, or rationalizing um, rape and murder and murder um, because ultimately again what do you care about the other person's mental emotional physical well-being um, if they are just being used as a tool for uh, a quick thrill, you know, and if, again, if, you know, you, which you don't, you, I mean, you, you inherently don't by doing that, by trying to, by looking to get yours. Um, and I think as well, uh, I mean, it's difficult everywhere, every, literally, literally everywhere you look in a, in like an urban area, even a rural area, um, almost everywhere you look are going to be immodestly dressed people um it's going to be on your phone if you're on social media to, in, to any degree um movies entertainment news um i mean it's it's it is quite literally everywhere you look um which i believe was a freemasonic goal by the way if you actually look at the publications yeah. and not just them that goal was actually shared so even though it precedes communism frederick engels writes about this actually had the objectives to mm -hmm. make sure that he could Lennon break down society. Well, yeah. And well, the and idea that 
if you can this particularly with 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 Marxist, um, you know, Masons, you know, whoever, whatever you want, uh, label them as, they're all really pretty much part of the same tree there. But um, the idea is if you can make men not noble, make them ignoble and feed their base pleasures by the wayside, the family will fall apart because you've no longer, you've taken the protector off the wall. And the other flip side to this, any ladies that are listening is, you know, I believe it was um, St. Fulton Sheen that uh, said this, that history can be judged by the merit of its women. Um, because for, if a man desires a woman, you know, and I, I mean that in, in the marital sense uh, or in the sacramental sense anyways, not the, not the carnal sense. If a man desires a woman, then he's got to be worthy of her. So the more worthy a woman is, the higher the man has to raise himself. If a woman is willing to, you know, the free the nipple campaign, walk around completely naked or whatever it is and do drugs and do all sorts of crazy stuff, well, the bar's set pretty low for who she's looking for, right? So men, guard your eyes, guard your chastity because, you know, you feed your base pleasures and you are no longer worthy or capable, not worthy. You're not, you're physically and, and spiritually not capable of being the protector and provider um, but women also, you have a duty as well to elevate yourselves and pull men up with you. It's very symbiotic, and as one goes, the other goes. The other problem is, too, is when you violate this commandment, the problem is you can't get those memories out of your head. You will fight those for the remainder of your life, trying to go and get virtuous and get back into the state of grace. And even when you're in the state of grace to maintain it, all of those memories come back. So I if I was listening to Father Wolf or Father Ripiger. But they talk about that. I believe it's Ripiger. He talks about demons actually have access to your memories. memories. Yep. And they can throw those in there. Um, same with dreams and all that. And and it's just, uh, it's, the, it's the idea that like you can heal, but your your spirit's still going to have those scars. Yeah, it does. You'll always have those scars. It's permanent change. And, and like I was saying with the, the goals of Marxism, these fourth, fifth, and sixth commandments are all listed together because they're absolutely and utterly related. The reason Engels decided that it was necessary to break down the woman was because if he could break down the virtues of the woman, then in the end, he knew he could break down the virtues of men. If they could break down the virtues of men, they could break families. If they could break families, government becomes the only avenue by which any power authority can exist in the world because they were basically atheists or Satanists who disavowed every commandment that God had given. They denied the divinity and the kingship of Christ. I think the other thing is as well as he wrote, and it might have been Ingalls, but it also might have been Lennon actually. But, but I mean, they, they kind of built on each other as they went. You know, these, these aren't, they're not, they're not thinking these things up in a vacuum that happened. They're, they're building upon each other. But so whoever it was in the, towards the middle of late 19th century, but um, is the idea that, you know, you have society as a family and you need to start separating factions out of that family to then turn inward to destroy the family, right? Women being one, if you can separate women out, tell them they're oppressed, offer them false liberation, right? That's one way in which you can very quickly destroy it, but also homosexuals, also whatever ethnic or uh, racial minorities happen to exist in that society. If you can separate out all these minorities, um, geographic demographic minorities and then turn them back on the society well then it'll implode on it on itself yep all the while feeding it drugs and booze and you know all the the carnivals and bread you know of the roman empire yes the bread and circuses all to basically keep people from focusing on god this is the whole thing and again after you've lost god if you're now impurity is the goal then now hedonism takes place well now again hedonism takes place and you've lost god well the thing is is you don't have any of the virtues if you break one commandment you've now broken them all that's uh james says that uh so james the less in the book of james and that means then you break the sixth commandment you can then break the fifth commandment so again because no longer do people have value they're just there to serve your own personal temporal sensual feelings so in the end they don't have any eternal value you don't care about their soul so why do you care about whether or not they live or die so murder can now be justified in the end a father who's willing to go and engage in pornography to actually then uh, start to break apart the bond that he has with his wife well then in the end he's no longer concerned about 
at least in terms of his actions, about her salvation, the salvation of his wife, or the salvation of his children. He's jeopardizing all of it. So in the end, these fourth, fifth, and sixth commandments are completely related. And I want to make sure, too, to dispel anyone here who says, well, it's a victimless crime. I mean, you just did it in your own privacy. God sees you. There's nothing you can do in private that he's not aware of. If he's watching you do these things that are completely and utterly offensive to him, as well as depending on the nature of the the sexual sins, are even offensive to the de- the demons. Demons actually don't like homosexual behavior. They actually find them completely and utterly repulsive. If you're doing these things, it's not victimless. If God's offended, there are damages caused and rifts that are opened. In the end, you're giving power over to demons. You're separating yourself from God. This means a whole new slew of problems join you that you didn't have before you engaged in any of these sins. We also don't know, you know, you and I don't know. I'm sure there are some very intelligent priests out there, such as Father, someone like Father Ripperger, but, you know, demons, we all have demons. One, multiple, I don't know, that follow us around, just like you have guardian angel. They're constantly preying on us, right? And so does everyone else. And demons aren't stupid. Far from it. Many of them are highly intelligent creatures. And Way co- more intelligent than us. And they coordinate. And so if you are, you know, engaging in this supposed victimless crime, your demon's seen that happen. He's seen the other demons that are, you know, with that person. And now you're essentially opening up a backdoor weakness for them, for you, for... Uh, that we don't have any clue as to how how bad what harm we actually might be doing with and it, that type of stuff. And this is why I hope everyone's looking at going because the all of the discussion we've now had on the sixth commandment, the one thing we didn't end up going into specifically was adultery itself. So I hope with everything we've led into to get to this point, everyone's like, "Ooh, if it's that bad for all the things that aren't specifically adultery, then how bad is adultery specifically?" in the end that you're willing to destroy families and cause all of this distrust and all of this break, all of this offense against God, casting off all the blessings and graces to open up the door to not only your demons, but the person you would be committing that sin with, their demons. How many demons are you now bringing into this picture that weren't there prior to this action happening? And again, this is not just the act, okay? This is talking about the act or any of these related actions to purity. This is about thinking about the acts. You actually entertain the thoughts. These are all sinful things. We are obligated to be in control of our faculties in all regards. Now, this is why, to finish this out, it is important to emphasize you don't have to go and play along when the temptations hit you. You don't have to take not only what our imaginations are, what we can see in society, and ultimately those temptations that are driven demonically. We don't have to go and accept this. We can fight. How do we fight? This so here's a question, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you particularly got particularly men but if you know i guess anyone um as you said before the sins of the flesh the things that you've done in your past like that you'll never be able to you know unsee those unremember those um and as you were talking about before demons having access to our memories and once you've opened that portal you know makes atonement it makes any further uh, virtuous behavior very difficult at that point as they're bombarding it. And that that's the thing is like those those images, you know, if you're being assaulted, are going to fly into your mind. But there's a difference between, you know, that happening and indulging in it. Um, as you were saying, uh, you know, playing along. There's a huge difference in that just, you know, you know, we... we, we this could be if I tell you, hey, don't think about the color pink. What do you immediately think of? You think of a pink, like you know yep. what I mean? Like it is what it is. Like that's how that's how you know our minds work to some degree. Um, but yeah, it's the idea of don't don't play along because, like you said, God sees all things. He knows what's in your heart. So the only way to stop this for all of you guys listening out there who want to actually avoid the pitfalls here that come with any of the six commandment sins. And to be perfectly honest, I need the fifth or fourth as well. Um, go to Mass. I, yeah, and I think the other thing is, too, is that it's such a scary thought. But I, I think this was, again, Father Ripperger. The man has some good stories. Um, there was an individual on his deathbed, got last rites, confession, communion. And as the priest was prepare, preparing to uh, say Requiem Mass after he passed, Vision appeared and told him, he had one impure thought before he died. And now he's in hell. 
because he indulged it. Because again, yep. we're all tempted. All of us are tempted. So it doesn't matter exactly. what happens. He indulged it, but you know, it's this idea of you know, people say like you know, if you're like, oh man, wouldn't it be awesome? If I just had a priest follow me everywhere I went. Like you know, like to hear all that stuff. And oh, it's like you can still, you can still, yes, okay, we're not even going to get into the whole presumption yeah. of the, all that, yeah. but like you can still fail at that last moment. And again, you always, and you know, they say in sports and the military and stuff like that, you always under moments of stress and pressure, you will revert to your lowest level of training, right? So if you've maintained a very high discipline, rigorous discipline. Well, yeah, but rigorous and disciplined standard, standard that's the word I was looking for, standard for yourself, then under times of pressure, that's what you're you're going to revert to. And if you've never practiced a spiritual discipline in that regard, then there at the moment of death, when the demons are like, hey, this is for keeps, is we got to get them, that could be when it's, it probably will be when it's the most difficult, the worst atta- attack you've ever had. Um, and if you haven't, you know, if you have not prepared yourself, uh, yeah, it's a tough break. All right. So we've covered, a, we've covered a bunch of stuff here. And the thing I want to leave on the, a lighter note, because this is heavy talks with everything going on in the world and all the challenges that each of us are facing, just trying to get to heaven at the end. We have to fight back and God gave us all the tools to fight. So that's what the mass is for. That's what the sacraments are for. That is what prayers do. Holy Communion and Confession rebuild us so that we can get through these challenges in all these dark times. The Blessed Mother is literally waiting there for you to ask her for assistance. Picture yourself going to her in addition to your rosaries, in addition to all of your Hail Marys and any of your other Marian devotions. These things are what we need to be closer to God. And we have guardian angels who are there willing to help us. There are many saints and billions of angels who are out there waiting for us to sit there and go, hey, can you please help me? All we got to do is ask. It's essential. If we do those things, the basics, it means we can avoid violating these commandments grievously in any way that jeopardizes our salvation. Our goal is to just try to avoid getting, you know, avoid committing any of these sins altogether because we have to be perfect by the end. It's the only way we get into heaven. So when Christ says, be perfect as your father in heaven is perfect, do all I've commanded you. Don't break any of the rules, okay? That's our goal. But the only way we can do that is grace. And so the only solution here is grace. And the only way to get it, it's in the mass, it's in the sacraments, it's in our prayers, and it's in our penances. Be willing to give up and detach yourself from the world. The more detached from the world you are, the easier it becomes to actually avoid breaking any of these commandments and keep yourself right with God. So hopefully all of that was very helpful for you guys today to go through those three commandments very critical in terms of christian living and how to actually be a good family member whether that is a father or a mother or a child sibling what have you and then build out your ability to just take care of these people and look at them the way god looks at them understand all these people around you have souls they're all trying to get to heaven and god wants you to be working to help all of them get to heaven and we have an obligation to make sure that happens so are you ready to do that think about it throw us questions thank you for listening to us and giving us your time make sure to subscribe to the channel throw in any comments you may have and again we look forward to talking to you in the next lesson here we get the rest of the commandments out of the way and uh as always saint joseph pray for for us. us